Hello, and welcome to Filmy Girls Idolcast. Hit it! Today was Kondo Masahiko, aka Machi, with a live performance of his smash hit High Teen Boogie, released June 30th, 1982, on RCA Records. It was the theme song of the movie of the same name, which, sadly, along with the rest of Machi's 1980s teen schlock films, uh, have never been digitized and released on DVD, despite the demand from people like uh, me. If that seems strange, all I can say is welcome to the opaque world of Johnny's and Associates, where demand always outstrips supply. When we left off in episode 2, it was 1978 and the four leaves had packed it in after a decade of idol group popularity. Over at Johnny's and Associates, this post-four leaves era would come to be known as Johnny's no Fuyujidai, or the winner of Johnny's. But spring was on its way. The new big three were still hanging in there as was my guy Sawada Kenji, and some of the popular female idols, but the tide was changing. A new way of listening to music on the go, something called a Walkman, a compact portable cassette tape player complete with headphone jack that enabled the listener to play music on the go, was just about to be released to the Japanese market. And there was a new generation of trainees, Johnny's Juniors, preparing to take on Tokyo and Kondo Masahiko, aka Machi, was one of them. The ambitious teen had had a breakout role in the iconic 1979 TBS high school drama series Sandenbi Gumi Kinpachi Sensei. The story goes that when Johnny Kitagawa heard that TBS was making a drama set in a high school classroom, he called the producers asking them if they wanted to take a look at some of his trainees. The agency was in a slump, and Johnny was willing to try anything. The Sandenbi Gumi producers picked three Johnny's juniors to join their series. Kondo Masahiko, aka Machi, Nomura Yoshio, aka Yochan, and Tahara Toshihiko, aka Toshichan. Together, they became known as the Tanokin Trio. Technically, I don't know if the Tanokin Trio can be considered an idol group because they never officially made a musical debut together, but for the purposes of this series, I think they're worth talking about. Let's get a little taste. Here is Toshi-chan with his ninth single, the peppy Harajuku Kisu, released May 8, 1982. 
It's a pretty good example of the type of song that each member of the Tanukin Trio was putting out as solo artists. The music is by the legendary Tsutsumi Kohei, who I mentioned in the last episode, and lyrics were by a young woman named Worioka Yumiko, working under the male pen name of uh, Miyashita Tomo, and she would leave a big mark on the Johnny's and Associates sound, and she deserves a whole episode on her own, so I won't delve too much into her style now. What you should listen for is the driving disco bass, with just a hint of 1950s retro drum beat, sprinkling of some vintage synthesizers, and then this glittering tornado of sound as the outro builds to a massive climax. These Tanukin Trio songs were the last gasp of high-quality Wrecking Crew-style backing band pop, and damn if they still don't sound good today. Toshi-chan's voice isn't what anyone would consider good. And to be honest, although Toshi-chan was a live wire on stage, and I'll link to a live performance of this song in the show notes, unlike Machi, his recorded performances often sound rather emotionally flat. Still, Toshi-chan's voice had that real teen adnoidal charm to it, and he powers through the song like a champ. The lyrics go like this. Machi shite, ocha shinaito. Machi me ni semaru, I love emotion. Dame narakata, fue ni daite. Kuchibiru ubao harajuku motion. Ah, dochi ga i, nan demo i kara, ichi do shita i. Lying in wait, I wonder if she wants to go out. Taking a serious approach, I love emotion. If her shoulders say no, I'll embrace her suddenly. I'll steal her lips. Harajuku motion. Ah, what should I do? I should do something. One time can I do it? <laughs> I really like this song. the Shingo Sankei, or New Big Three, had been grouped together by the popular media, 
but they were separate stars with separate careers. Johnny Kitagawa must have seen this and determined to create his own Big Three, a Big Three totally under the control of his own agency. And to that end, he packaged the Tanakin Trio as sort of a cross between the new Big Three and the idol group magic he tried to capture with the Johnnies and the Four Leaves. The trio all debuted separately as solo stars, but they did concerts together, they did interviews together. Between 1981 and 1983, they did an incredible six now impossible to find movies together. It turns out that teen girls loved Machi, Toshi-chan, and Yo-chan, but they loved the camaraderie of the trio even more. Johnny Kitagawa would not forget this lesson again. The other precedents set by the Tanakin trio were their origins in a television drama about high school, while Ko-chan from The Four Leaves had had a leading role in 1973 in a silly teen drama playing a male high school student attending a girls' high school, it hadn't exactly set their world on fire. And you can actually find old episodes of Boku wa Joshi Gakusei, or I'm a Female Student, on YouTube, and yeah, uh, maybe you shouldn't look those up. But the Tanakin Trio's success was the start of a long relationship between the television studios and Johnny's and Associates' young talent. Numerous Johnny's trainees and young debuted stars would go on to try their luck in high school dramas, and more than a few would find success and unlock the next level to their careers. It was a win-win situation for both Johnny and the television studios. None of the Tanakin Trio were great singers or great dancers, but more importantly, together they had something special, and their youthful camaraderie was embraced by the Japanese public in a way that neither the Johnnies nor the Four Leaves had been. Fangirls might have known all the members of the Four Leaves, but your average woman on the street would have had no idea. But everyone was on a first-name basis with the Tanukin Trio. To that point, the next song I'm going to play is from a short-lived idol group called the Emokin Trio, who emerged from long-running comedy series Kingdom, and took everybody including themselves by surprise with their hit song, High School Lullaby, released August 5th, 1981, on the now-defunct Four Life Records. Ironically, what was intended as a comically exaggerated version of an idol group turned out to be more pastiche of the Donnie's associate style than parody. They borrowed the flat nasal singing voices of Matching and Company, and with the added bonus of lyrics from hitmaker Matsumoto Takeshi, who not coincidentally also wrote for the Tanukin Trio, the Emokin Trio nailed the emotionally turbulent feeling of those early 80s songs. But the music, the music was new. Instead of the lush 1970s style instrumental backing tracks that the Tanakin Trio was still using, the Emokin Trio had a Devo-esque new wave track written by Hosono Haruomi, an experimental and artistic composer and producer better known to the English-speaking world as Harry Hosono the genius behind Yellow Magic Orchestra. The late 1970s and early 1980s were the dawn of the Eurobeat and disco era in Japan, and those glorious instrumentals of the previous generation slowly began to vanish as the trendy and cheaper computer-generated backing tracks took their place. The downside, obviously, is that when those cheap computer tracks attempt to emulate real instruments, they sound like cheap computer tracks. The upside, is that when they don't try to emulate real instruments, those computer-generated backing tracks can allow song composers to try out some very cool new ideas for not very much money. You could speed up tempos to inhuman speeds, produce a backing track with a rhythmic accuracy no human could be capable of, and you could make some really, really weird and crazy sounds. 
The always fashion-forward ex-Tiger Sawada Kenji had already played around with synthesizers and computer sounds on songs like his 1979 hit, Tokyo. But the digital sound wouldn't really break through for another few years. As we'll hear, High School Lullaby was ahead of its time in a lot of ways. I'm going to link to a live performance in the show notes so you can see for yourself. The Emilkin trio are dressed in all white, with vests highlighted in primary colors with matching bow ties, member colors, much like the four leaves had used in their costuming. The performance itself is comedic, with two of the trio miming along to the drum machine and keyboards in a very exaggerated way. But the girls in the audience clap along and call out the fan chants, and I think that's why the song is worth dwelling on. Despite the four leaves having split up, and male idol groups not really being all that popular, I think it's incredible that the male idol group style of Johnny's and Associates had made a big enough impression on the mainstream public that a comedy group could attempt a parody and not only have it be immediately recognizable as a male idol group, but also turn out to be incredibly popular in a non-ironic way with fangirls who knew instinctively how to respond to it. (laughs) And, I mean, it's, well, it's also just a really good song. Uh, okay, so it goes like this. 100% 100% Baby, I love you so Suki suki baby 100% unrequited love Baby, I love you so Love you, love you, baby 100% unrequited love I can't help but stick close to you, baby All through the early 80s, Johnny's and Associates flooded the market with Tanokin Trio content. Between the three boys, they had an incredible number of hit singles. And Johnny Kitagawa wasn't sleeping on the formula. While the Tanokin Trio were out hustling, 
in late 1981, he launched the three-member Shibugaki Tai, who, like the Tanukin trio, had also appeared together in the second season of Sanen Bikumi Sensei. Shibugaki Tai were also the hosts of Let's Go Idoru, which would heavily feature the Johnnies and Associates young trainees, helping them develop their skills in front of the all-important television camera and giving them a chance to build up a fan base. The star-making system of Johnnies and Associates that we know today was slowly coming together. The late 70s and early 80s had also seen a resurgence in mainstream rock, with bands like the Southern All-Stars, Twist, and the Alfie making the charts. In September 1983, two idol rock bands would make their debut. The Tanukin trio's Yo-chan would debut as the front man of a band called The Goodbye, and from way down in Fukuoka province came a band called simply Checkers. Almost 40 years later, there is still a furious debate raging among fans over whether Checkers should be properly considered an idol group or not. One side says they wrote their own music and played their own instruments, so no. The other side says that's how they were marketed, so that's how we should treat them. You can guess where my sympathies fall in this debate, but you can make up your own mind. Checkers was led by the charismatic, outspoken frontman Fuji Fumiya, who was only about 20 when Checkers made their debut. With flashy matching outfits, check print, of course, some coordinated dancing, and the smoldering good looks of lead singer Fumiya, Checkers were made for television and they were enormously popular on music shows like the weekly chart show The Best Ten, and they even starred in a couple of dramas as well as a couple of feature films together, much as the Tigers had 20 years earlier. More importantly, they smashed album sales in a way that no group had in years. In the mid-80s, Checkers were it. Musically, Checkers were in step with the global 50s nostalgia boom of the 80s, which, again, trend forward ex-Tiger Sawada Kenji had already done back in 1981 with his hit song Stripper. Did I mention that I love Sawada Kenji? Um, yeah, I do. So the checker sound was a modern update on the 50s classic rock sound, with a bit of that Madness-style ska saxophone thrown in for good measure. Lead singer Fuji Fumiya was not only extremely cute, an adorable manlet with a heart-shaped face, floppy bangs, and giant Bambi eyes, but he also had the perfect idol voice, emotive, with a strong enough tone to poke through the most cluttered of backing tracks directly into your ear holes and into your heart. The Checkers' early hits were all written by the team Uri no Masal lyrics and Serazawa Hiroaki music. The next song I'm going to play is Checkers' first big hit, Namida no Requesto, A Tearful Request, released January 21st, 1984 on Pony Canyon. Taigo no koini inori o komete midnight DJ. Dairu mo wasu anako ni tsutai mada skita yo to. Turanjista no volume agete hajimete futari. Ododa kyokusa sayonara nante. Sumete sugiru ne hidoi shiuchi sa. I prayed in the midnight DJ as I load my last coin, spinning the dial, if I can tell the girl I still love her, turning up the volume on the transistor radio, the first song we danced to as a couple, ah, oh, what goodbye, you've become so cold, it's too cruel. <laughs> Saigo 
Back in the chocolate shop with Archie and the gang. Namida no request. <laughs> but as the checkers got a little older, like the tigers before them, they pushed back against the star machine and demanded more creative control of their sound and style. The hitmaker idol era for checkers more or less ended with their 1986 single Nana, which featured lyrics by lead singer Fuji Fumia and music by saxophonist Fuji Naoyuki. Not only did it rock far harder than their other songs had, but national broadcaster NHK actually went as far as to ban it because of Fumiya's raunchy lyrics. It was a powerful statement of rebellion from the young rock group. After 11 hit singles, two movies, including one where they all played Where Tanuki that I'm desperate to find a copy of, the chocolate shop was closed. Still, Checkers would remain extremely popular until they split up for good in 1992. After 1986, Checkers tried to distance themselves from their idol past. There would be no more feature films or dramas, but they could never quite escape that gleeful early image. And while I'm sympathetic to the guys wanting to be taken seriously as musicians and songwriters, there is something really magical about those early idol group years. The youthful emotion, the infectious energy, the wild stage costumes, the campy humor. It would be another few years before Japan had a group that was as massively popular as Checkers. But they showed yet again that the appetite was there. The question left hanging was, how did you sustain that mainstream idol group success for the long haul? The combination of music, performance, and personality was clearly a winner, but how did you make it last past the boys' bubblegum teen years? And just as checkers were about to pull the plug on idling, an exciting new group was just about to make their debut. Enter cheerful Nishikiori Kazukiyo, aka Niki, quiet Uexa Katsuhide, aka Kachan, and the serious but dreamy Higashiyama Noriyuki, aka Higashi. After spending years back dancing for Machi and Toshi-chan and everybody else, on December 12, 1985, the three-member Johnny's and Associates dance unit, Shonen Tai, made their record debut with a frenetic electropop single titled Kamen Budokai, or Masked Ball. It went straight to number one. <laughs> 
Johnny's and Associates' trademark unison vocals were laid over top of a relentless, pulsating drum machine loop, punctuated by stinging synthesizers. And like the four leaves before them, choreography was an integral part of the song. Not only were the members handsome young men who looked good together, but the choreography took full advantage of the years they'd spent dancing together as trainees. The choreography to Common Budokai has large, sweeping movements that demand perfect synchronicity, as well as flips and spins to showcase their athleticism. Shonen Tai existed mainly on stage and in television music shows, although the guys did star in a hastily made, long-forgotten sci-fi film in 1987 that I would dearly love to get my hands on. The group members never did the type of dramas or non-music variety shows that would have been able to get a broader mainstream audience invested in their careers. But, as it was, Shonen Tai had a strong run of singles for a few years before entering a semi-permanent hiatus in the early 90s, uniting to perform as a group once a year until 2008 for their annual stage review called Playzone. So if they weren't long-lasting, or had massive popularity, why do I consider Shonen Tai so important? The simple answer is that their dance and performance style, as well as their work ethic, were hugely influential across numerous up-and-coming generations of Johnny's trainees. The kids who would cycle through as backing dancers for Playzone year after year after year, performing shonen tai songs, eventually became idols themselves, or ended up working behind the scenes. Yada Tomoyuki, a Johnny's trainee who performed in Playzone for something like 20 years, eventually went on to do choreography for other groups. Members from almost every single top Johnny's group of the 2000s and the 2010s cycled through Playzone at some point. V6, Tokyo, Arashi, Kanjani 8, Kiss My Foot 2. The intimacy of the theater stage, working in close quarters with demanding older professionals like Shonen Tai every day for months, it had an effect, and you can still see the echoes in today's groups. The next song I'll play is Shonen Tai's number one single, Diamond Eyes, released July 7th, 1986 on Warner Pioneer. It is unbelievably catchy. The lyrics were written by former idol Kanda Emi, who would sadly be killed by a stalker just a couple of years later at the age of 36. And the music is by Nagasawa Hiro, former vocalist and bassist for cult 70s prog rockers, the Anzen Band turned songwriter of catchy idol tunes for girl groups like Poppins and the Orange Sisters, and also Shonen Time. The hook goes something like this. Tajama, 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 yume wa ikaka. Tajama is slang for a stubborn or difficult girl, and Shonen Time want to know what she's dreaming about. Possibly them.
original tidbit worth mentioning about Shonen Tai was that before they debuted with Kamen Budokai, John and Kitagawa had taken them to America with the idea of training with Michael Douglas Peters, the choreographer who did Michael Jackson's Thriller, and possibly debuting in America, a repeat of what he had attempted with the Johnnies 20 years earlier. But America was not ready for Asian Idol groups. An awkward encounter on the Merv Griffin show encapsulates this perfectly. The boys performed well, but Merv Griffin has no idea how to interact with them, and the interview is painful to watch. Forget about the stigma of being Japanese in a time when Pearl Harbor and World War II were still very much alive in popular memory. Even if they had sung in English, unless at least one member could speak conversational American English perfectly, the gap with the audience would remain too large. The army of fan translators and fan-made subtitles unleashed by the power of the internet were still decades away, and Shonen Tai left America without a trace. Despite the group's interpersonal disagreements and one member's long-rumored bad behavior towards women, Shonen Tai are still technically an active idol group, almost 40 years since they first got together as trainees. And all three members are still working, although mostly in theater, I think, um, but Higashi does pop up on television variety shows from time to time. Shonen Tai may be packed away with the mothballs, but their short run at the top of the charts produced some real electropop gems, and they're worth seeking out. The other 1980s Johnny's and Associate group that must be discussed is the seven-member roller skating idol group Hikaru Genji, who debuted soon after Shonen Tai and were named after famous literary character Hikaru Genji. And yes, I said roller skating, and yes, that's exactly as ridiculous as naming an American boy band like Casanova. If Shonen Tai's appeal lay in their excellent performance skills, Hikaru Genji were the exact opposite. Their appeal lay completely in their personalities. Not that they didn't have talent, but with the youngest member just 14 years old when they debuted, their main appeal lay in their youthful charms rather than hard-earned skills. Of course, the problem with relying on youthful charms as a selling point is that sooner or later the youths aren't so youthful, and Hikaru Genji never really developed their skills beyond it. Consequently, they burned out pretty fast. Still, they were very influential in their own way. The seven members were split into two units. The two eldest, 1819 at debut, were Hikaru. Five younger ones, Genji. We cannot skip over Hikaru Genji because at their height, they were massive and it all lay in their charming personalities. During one live television performance of their third single, Paradise No Ginga, the music is accidentally cut off during the intro. And rather than nervously glancing around or crying or looking baffled, member Morohoshi Kazumi skates right up to the camera with a massive grin, excited just to be on TV. The other members flash peace signs and jump around. They are adorable. But like the famous Japanese cherry blossoms, the appeal of that kind of beauty lies in knowing that it won't last forever. And it didn't. The group dissolved in the early 90s. But not only did an entire generation of young trainees learn the important lesson that being cute on camera can get you places, Hikaru Genji songs continue to live on as part of the foundation of the Johnny's and Associates musical canon. Their songs are still performed by Johnny's trainees to this day, and it's no coincidence that songwriter Makai no Koji, who wrote many of Hikaru Genji's best-known songs, would also go on to write the debut song for Hikaru Genji's Backing Dancers, a six-member unit known as SMAP. 
This next song was Hikaru Genji's 21st single, released May 13th, 1993, on Pony Canyon. It was written, of course, by Makai no Koji, with lyrics by the equally prolific Matsui Goro. The song would be covered by no fewer than five Johnny's and Associates groups, as well as numerous other artists, with the latest cover version released just a few years ago in 2016. This song is legendary. The melody is forgiving of poor singers, and the lyrics are the kind of cheerful, supportive J-pop lyrics that never go out of style. It is also a ton of fun to sing along to loudly at karaoke. Yes, we're going to give 100% bravery. We can't help but do our best. While hugging close cheerfulness all over the world. Yes, we're going to give 100% bravery. We can't help but do it properly. Never forget the radiance we are holding. While Japan's pop music scene had been running wild with roller skating idol groups and sexy saxophone jams, over in Korea, popular music was just emerging from underneath heavy censorship. As the 80s drew to a close, Korean popular music featured cute, young female singers like Lee Sang-un, who performed bubblegum pop much in the way that cute, young female Japanese singers of the era did, emotional singer-songwriters like Cho Young-pil, who emerged from the 1970s underground rock scene, and of course, there was the enduring popularity of Trot, the Korean equivalent of the Japanese Inca. But the liberalization of the media, combined with the influx of new influences that came into the country with 1988 Seoul Olympics, they were about to give birth to a new era of popular music, and the influence that would make the biggest impact? American hip-hop. And I think it's at this point where the Korean and Japanese taste in popular music really begins to split. Korean youth would go on to develop a taste for heavy backbeat influenced by American R&B, while Japanese youth lean more towards the even keel of the Eurobeat. And in the next episode, we'll really dive into the 90s, but 
I want to close this out today with a little outside the idol bubble snapshot of where popular music was. Because even as I'm deep diving into idol groups, I think it's important to remember that they're not now and were never representative of the entire music industry, nor of the musical tastes of the countries themselves. We have to remember that K-pop is first and foremost a music made for export, and the groups we hear about are not necessarily a reflection of tastes at home. Japan, they couldn't care less about exporting, so what trickles out of Japan is generally self-selected by enthusiasts like me, and again, not necessarily a reflection of tastes at home. That's just a friendly reminder that we're talking about a corner of pop music and not all music. And with that in mind, let me play you a small sample of what normies would have been listening to. From Japan, I picked legendary rock group Bees, who are still active today. And this is their number one hit, Easy Come, Easy Go, released October 3rd, 1990. Bees play straightforward rock of a type that is yet to go out of style. And these guys still tour globally, just as popular now as they ever were. Isn't that good? Yeah, bees. 
And okay, from Korea, I picked the winner of the Golden Disc Album of the Year Award for both 1989 and 1990, Byung Jin-sol, with his still popular ballad from his 1989 release, uh, Back to You Again. I chose this song not only because it has become something of a standard, idols still singing on shows like King of Mass Singer, but also because musically it has a sound I've come to associate with Korean ballads. Even as K-pop is soaked in hip-hop and dance, there is something about the ballad form that takes K-pop right back to the mournful, emotional roots of Korean popular music. Until next time, this has been Filmy Girl. If you'd like to contact me with comments, or if anyone has any burning questions, or just wants to shout out their favorite groups, feel free to drop me a line, filmy.girl at gmail.com, or you can at me on Twitter, F-I-L-M-I-G-I-R-L. Bye-bye. Annyeong. Deep.